tonight too. Amen. <clears throat> if he's not, you need to get that settled. All right, before we get going too much further, again, if you didn't get one of your uh, Fight the Good Fight Building Fund offerings, okay, from this morning, make sure you grab one of those. The gentlemen are here. If you need one of those, raise your hand. You didn't get one. We want to have it in our hand. We're going to be praying over it this week, all right? And so most of you got it. There's a, one over here. There's one there. Just a couple through the room, that's all. And that'll be fine. Get that. Pray about it. Again, next Sunday morning, we'll be uh, taking up, and Sunday night, we'll be taking up our Fight the Good Fight Building Fund offering. And again, if you're out of town or something, by all means, you feel free to give that to us at any time you can, or any time you're here, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. All right, well, as they're getting those passed out, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 is where we're going to be tonight as we kick this thing off again. <coughs> See here, I get this turned on. <coughs> I don't know what it is. I feel like my voice just all of a sudden just from, I don't know if it's uh, allergies or what it is, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. You guys might be in for a real short one tonight. <laughs> Doubt it. But anyway, moving on. <coughs> the rules of Bible study is what we're talking about. The rules of Bible study. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And uh, so as you arrive there, you get there. The Bible says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Except he strive lawfully. And again, we know we're in a race as a believer. 
And so we're trying to strive lawfully. We want to do this thing right. And um, in everything we encounter in life, we said that there are certain rules. Uh, rules that we have to abide by in business or uh, <clears throat> legal matters, as uh, whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. Sporting events, all kind of different things. We recognize, we realize that <clears throat> you have to follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, there's consequences for that, okay? And so when it comes to the Bible, there's some rules as well. So we're talking about some rules of Bible study. And we went through six of them last week. <clears throat> we'll go ahead and look at those here in just a moment. <clears throat> Before you ask what a verse means, determine the context, we said. We said the Bible is written to three groups of people, <clears throat> Jews, Gentiles, and the church. Oh, that voice of mine. We said, number three, the Bible has proper divisions. You must put those divisions in the right place. All Scripture has three applications, doctrinal, historical, and inspirational. Number five, we said God chooses the exact words He wants, excuse me, the exact words He wants to use and the events recorded to show you something. And number six, we ended with God has three distinct plans revealed in His Word. He has a plan for the universe, a plan for the earth, and a plan for your life. <clears throat> so we talked about those six as we started off last week. We said that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we noted that doctrine is listed first. So it's very important that we get a good handle on doctrine. And uh, <clears throat> as we study these rules, as we note these rules... They'll help us with that area. And so we're going to be taking some time today to continue in our study and note some of the other rules of Bible study, okay? And so we're going to do just that. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll continue tonight. Father in heaven, we do come to you. We thank you once again for just the great privilege it is to gather in your house, to be a part of your family. Lord, we need you as we go forward tonight. As we consider these rules of Bible study, Father, help us to realize how important they are as far as their keys that help us to unlock the Bible, to understand it better, to be able to grasp it and ultimately apply it to our life more effectively. Lord, the world is not in need of more uh, people that profess Christ. The world's in need of people that burn for Jesus. Father, we need to be legitimately concerned and, and seriously uh, <clears throat> desirous of your word. We need to really want to know it and, and love it and, and to truly, Father, uh, want to live it. And Father, again, um, just help us, Lord, to be genuine and be sincere and be faithful in this area of studying our Bible and uh, truly understanding it and learning it. So, Lord, as we consider these uh, rules of Bible study, may we hide them in our heart. May we really take them to heart and not just put them on a piece of paper and forget about them, but, Lord... May they really be something that we strive to keep in our mind. And as we read through our Bible, we're clicking through them. And Lord, there's some that are more important, it seems, or at least we can come across more often than others. But may we take them and really, really consider them throughout our Bible reading and our Bible study. Bless us now, Lord. May we become what you want us to be, conformed to the image of your Son. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, again, let's start with number seven, rules of Bible study. And uh, I'm going to kick that back on and go to number seven. The invisible things of God <clears throat> can be seen by studying the things God made. 
the invisible things of God can be seen by studying the things God made. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation, excuse me, <coughs> the invisible things, <coughs> boy, my, my voice is really giving me trouble. Uh, I hope I don't cause you not to be able to listen. The, the Bible says, um, over, <laughs> yeah, that, that, if I did that, now that would definitely draw some attention. <coughs> but anyway, that, that's, that one was pretty good right there, I'll, I'll tell you that. If I could do that right now, I would probably feel better, <coughs> to be honest with you. But anyway, uh, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, <laughs> being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now again, we're not going to take time to look at this today because we're going to spend a lot of time on this in one particular study. But the fact is, is that you need to only look around you and you see the things God created and uh, they're a reflection of Him. And what you'll find is that they do have a tendency to help you to understand uh, things. Things that are literally seen uh, can help you understand things that are not seen. And it's really an amazing thing, okay? <clears throat> so anyway, uh, we're going to look at this a little bit later and we'll, we'll, we'll delve into it quite, quite extensively. Uh, number eight, <clears throat> the Bible is of no private interpretation. All interpretations must be done by comparing Scripture with Scripture. <clears throat> now, the idea of these so-called uh, Bible studies today seems to be kind of a group of people that get together at someone's home or maybe even at church and they discuss the Bible. You know, they may or may not have the same Bible even in their hand. But then again, aren't all Bibles the same? But anyway, <clears throat> no comment. But anyway, no comment. All right. But so, wow, you guys are sleeping out there. I've lulled you to sleep with my bassy voice. <clears throat> but anyway, <clears throat> today it's bassy, all right. But anyway, someone, someone will pick a chapter of the Bible and they'll read it and they'll say, okay, now let's study the Bible. John, why don't you take a few minutes and tell us what you think it means? And then John takes a few minutes and he <clears throat> says, well, I believe this and I think that and and, and I really like how he says it this. And, and then, and okay, okay, uh, now, uh, Kathy, uh, uh, now why don't you take a few minutes and tell us what you think it means. And then they go around the group and they do that. And four or five people maybe uh, give their opinions about what they believe the Bible says or what it, what it, what it, has to, what it means to them. <clears throat> they may or may not be saved. But they're giving their opinion what the Bible means or what it says to them. They think it means. So basically, all you have under the guise of Bible study is four or five private interpretations of the Bible. That's what you have. <clears throat> You've got people that basically <clears throat> are telling you what they think the Bible says. Well, that's not really what a Bible study is supposed to be about. That's not it at all. See, the Bible only says one thing says one thing. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about it. <clears throat> people, you know, there were eight people in Noah's day that thought the rain wouldn't come. I mean, the, the, there was only eight people in Noah's day that thought the rain would actually come. It didn't matter what the others thought. The rain came because that's what the Bible said was going to happen. 
<clears throat> that's just the way it is. <clears throat> Every religious teacher in Christ's day, they didn't think that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Seventy years later, it was destroyed. In 70 AD, it was destroyed. So it didn't matter what they thought. What matters what God said would happen. And that's exactly the same thing with the Bible. If, <clears throat> if you want to study the Bible, then the Bible has to do the talking. When you and I are offering our opinions, that isn't, that, that isn't uh, getting God's mind on the matter. And so it says, well, I really believe that this is what it means and says. This is what it means to me. Who cares what it means to you? When it's all said and done, you better know what God says, what God's saying. And you better understand what God means. Because really, everybody's got opinions, and they're usually all different. And you know what? <clears throat> None's better than the next. But God's word stands true. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the Bible tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How ridiculous is it to sit around a table and just say, What do you think Ezekiel chapter 1 means? What good's that do? Everybody gives their opinion. Well, it makes me feel good because I got to share. Okay, but do we know anything more about the God of heaven that put it on paper? Do we know anything more about what it means doctrinally or, or prophetically? Do we have any clue historically? Inspirationally, yes. Everybody has their own idea, maybe. We can take that and apply it in many ways. But doctrinally, there's only one meaning to it. Only one. <clears throat> Always remember a very basic law of existence that's very absolute. It never changes. Whoop, that's not the right one. <clears throat> Here's the law. Romans 3, 4. Turn there if you would. You'll find it. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Here's a very basic law of existence. <clears throat> and it's absolute. There's no questioning it. One of you young men, uh, Brother Diego, stand up and read that for me, would you? 3, 4. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy saying, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Does he say, let God be true, but what? Every man a liar. Let God be true, but every man a liar. That is a, that is a basic law of existence that is absolute. God is always true, but every man is a liar. If he does not agree with God, then he is the one that's wrong, not God. God's never wrong. God's never wrong. How many times have you heard this old line? Well, that's just your interpretation. Yeah, you ever tell somebody, you know what? The word, God wants us in God. You know, God wants us in church. Let me take you over to the book of Hebrews, chapter ten, verse twenty-five. You know, not a, you know, not um, what's it? How does it start? Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as men of some is, but exhorting one another so much more. See the day approaching, and all that stuff. And somebody says, well, that's your that's your interpretation of that verse. You ever have somebody throw that one in your 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 lap? Yeah, doesn't that one gripe you just a little bit sometimes? You know, but but we know that people use that as an excuse to what? Dismiss God, to dismiss his word, to dismiss their obligation to the God that created them. Even they utilize those things. The truth is that <clears throat> my interpretation isn't worth two cents. And neither is your interpretation. None of our interpretation is worth a nickel. It's worth nothing. The Bible is its own dictionary. 
The Bible is its own commentary by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Someone says, why do I need to know the Bible? Because you can't know the Bible unless you know the Bible. You've got to know something about the Bible before you can really understand and know the Bible. So that's why I read the Bible. Well, how much do you study it? So, by reading the Bible, have you been able to put all the pieces and parts together? Absolutely not. That's an impossibility. You can spend a lifetime studying the Word of God in order to grasp enough of it to begin to put pieces together and ultimately make sense of what God's trying to say. It's not a complicated book. It's not a hard book. But it is a book you have to spend some time on. And, and, and honestly, you know, this private interpretation thing is probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks that there is in our culture. People, you know, that's your, that's your opinion. That's what you think. Now watch this. <clears throat> the truth is, in our, our, our society today, everybody believes that everybody's opinion is equal. You know what? You, you, you're, you're Baptist. So, you know, what makes you any more better than the Catholics? What makes the Catholic any better than the Muslim? What makes the Muslim any better than the, 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 the uh, <clears throat> I don't know, the, the, the Greek Orthodox? What, what, what matters? You know, who, everybody has their opinion. Everybody's right. Who cares? If that's what flips your switch, good for you. Isn't that kind of the way people feel and, and act today? Let me tell you something, though. It, it doesn't matter what we... It, it's not a Baptist thing. It shouldn't be a Catholic thing. It shouldn't be a Muslim thing. It's a Bible thing. You better know this book. Because when it's all said and done, who cares what the Baptists think? Because the Baptists aren't even staying true to what they used to believe. I mean, we got to believe the book. And that's what you have to base your, your, your foundation on is the Word of God. So dig into it. Understand it. So you young men, you're wasting time. Wasting time. You'll go to church and you may even read your Bible and pray every day. But you know what? That's not enough for you. It's not enough. You want to really get a grasp on God's Word? You want to really know who Jesus Christ is? He says, search the Scriptures and then you think you have eternal life and there are they that testified me. You want to know Christ, and you got to get in the book. Not just reading it, you got to study it. you got to dig. Then you ought to talk to some of these, these men around here, and if they can't give you good answers, then go past them. Just knock them off the side and say, thank you for nothing. Don't say it that way, but just walk on by and find somebody who can help you learn how to study a Bible. You need to ask your pastor. You need to ask your youth leader. You need to ask some of the men in the church, hey, what do you do to study the Bible? Well, I read it. That's not studying. Find people. Get somebody to help you. But you better figure out how to dig in that Word. And if you don't figure it out, 20 years from now, you'll still know just as much as you know today. You'll not know one more thing. That's all you'll know. You won't know anything else. There are good materials that you can find. There are tremendous uh, helps and so forth that you can use. There are study aids. And then there's just a book that you have to read and then you begin to write things and you begin to put things in notes and uh, outlines and stuff that God lays on your heart and you begin to put A and C together to equal something and you figure it all out. Man, it's a, it's a great, it's like a puzzle, but it's an awesome puzzle and it starts to make sense as you start getting enough pieces. So anyway, but it's no private interpretation. Nobody cares what Mark O'Donnell thinks tonight. Nobody cares. But they, they, they better care what God's Word says. And if they don't care what that says, then it's not really a personal thing on me. I that's what I tell people all the time. Don't get, if you won't get mad at me for telling you the truth, I won't get mad at you for disobeying it. I'm not going to worry about that. I only am obligated to share the truth. I'm not obligated to make you live it. 
So I just have to keep giving it, okay? But listen, it's not my interpretation. The day it becomes my interpretation is the day that you are not obligated to abide by it. And you know what? That's true in your life. When you get a family member or friend that comes to you and says, what, what do I need to do about this? And you start giving them your opinion. You're, you, you need to be able to give them some book, some Bible. This is what they need right here. They need the Word of God because the Word of God is what? Truth. Okay, not opinions. They need the Word of God. Work on that. Know the Word of God. No private interpretation. 2 Peter 1, uh, 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. That means not, nobody corners the market on knowing what the Bible says. The Bible corners the market on what it says. It defines what it means from words and statements, and it, it defines its own, own self. So uh, a commentary is not the one thing that determines what the Bible says or teaches. The Bible is. Now, there's a lot of good godly men and women that have written things that are helpful and good aids, but listen, I've read, <laughs> I've looked at some commentaries before after I've done some study and thought to myself, man, you know, where'd they come up with that? And then there's other things I've read and I thought to myself, you know, wow, that was really good. But, most of the time, anything I really have a problem with, they don't even address. I mean, that seems like every question I've got. I think, man, I'm going to go see what so-and-so says about that. And they go, eh, skip right over it. And I'm like, mm. So, you know, the, uh, we just, we just no private interpretation here, okay? That's an important rule. That means that I don't have a right, nor do you have a right to define and de- determine what the Bible says. What does it say? That's what you need to know before you ever ask yourself, what does it mean? What does it say? And then let God's Word speak for itself. No private interpretation. Number nine, the individual words in the Bible are key to the Bible. The individual words in the Bible are key to the Bible. Every word of God is pure, the Bible tells us. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Every word of God is pure. Now again, this is another area that we're going to spend some time on. And there's a whole lesson that I'll be teaching and we'll be working through that one. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on it today. Now, number 10. Always give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. Always give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. This is a rule of Bible study. I don't care who you are. I don't care how faithful you are, how godly you are. You're going to read things in the Bible that are going to cause you to ask yourself some questions. Um, We need to operate under the belief that the Bible is innocent until proven guilty. If you know what I'm saying. The Bible's innocent until proven guilty. Um, probably the most, um, I, I guess, the greatest excuse used uh, against Christians is that they'll say things that the Word of God is full of contradictions. You know, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons why they disobey. That, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. You can't believe the Word of God. It's full of contradictions. Now, you can say, well, show me one. Well, it's just full of contradictions. That's what they usually do to you. Right? Now, in our day and age, it's a little tougher because what they do now is they get on the websites and they rush right to a website that wants to ask you something about, oh, I don't know. I, I really don't even know what they would ask anymore. But... 
They ask these dumb questions about, well, this number in the book of Kings is not the same number that's listed in the book of, of Samuel and blah, 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 blah. And see, there's, a, there's an error there. There's a contradiction there. What you're going to find is usually the, the contradictions that they, so-called, they call so-called contradictions, you're going to find that really God's trying to reveal a tremendous truth. It's what you'll find. But, but what happens is, is that if we're not careful, we go to the Bible, we see something that doesn't add up, and we automatically start going, you know what, there's something wrong with the book. There must be a contradiction here. No, always give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> when you run into a spot where you're tempted to think something like that, you need to stop and say to yourself, I may not know the answer, but there must certainly be one. There's got to be an answer. This is God's Word. Now, in our next lesson, we're going to deal with rightly dividing the Word of Truth. As we begin to deal with that topic, you're going to see that there are some principles that we'll share that are going to help clear up a number of what these so-called um, contradictions are. Most of the contradictions that we find in the Word of God or that people claim to find in the Word of God are a direct result of not rightly dividing the Word of Truth. When I say that, we'll talk more about that. I don't, I don't have time, nor do we have the... the, 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 the uh, we just don't have time to get into that. that. That's a whole subject, and we will deal with that in our next lesson. <clears throat> so you're going to find that it's very helpful as we begin to understand how the Word is divided because it, it, when you begin to put things in their right place in time, all of a sudden, everything starts making sense. Remember last week how I talked to you about Matthew chapter 24? And how it said, basically, it made us believe that we can lose our salvation. Remember that last week, some of you? And, and I said, Where's that, where did that passage lead us? What, where does it set in, doctrinally? It sets right in the tribulation period. Well, of course, if you take the mark of the beast, 666, then automatically, no matter what profession you've made, the moment you take that mark, where you, you're destined to go to where? The lake of fire. So guess what? You better endure to the end, or you won't be saved. It's not a contradiction. It doesn't cause us to worry about us losing our salvation because doctrinally the passage doesn't fall in the church age. It falls in the tribulation age. So we'll talk more about that as we go along next week. We start talking about rightly dividing the word of truth. So there are issues there. Someone says, well, you endure to the end. Endure to the end. Well, we can make that say whatever we want it to say then. If it doesn't fall somewhere, if it doesn't uh, isn't rightly divided, we got problems. So we'll look at that next week as we start dealing with some of those issues and we start considering rightly dividing the word of truth, okay? And, of course, that's a very scriptural portion of uh, Scripture as well. Now, um, rule, uh, rule number 11. Let's go to that. <clears throat> Never forget the consistency of the Bible. The Bible is a very consistent book. It's the most consistent book in the entire world. And its author, according to 1 Corinthians, exhorts his church to let all things be done Decently and in order. Who can tell me where that's at in the Bible? Where's that in the Bible? But all things be done decently in order. You hear me say it a million times. Does anybody know? First Corinthians what? 1440. 1 Corinthians 1440. Where did you learn that? Growing up. Good. Good. You need to learn those things growing up. Okay? We're all growing in the Lord. You need to learn that. 1 Corinthians 1440. That's a very important passage. Let all things be done decently in order. You know what that passage did for me in my life? It caused me to say in my home, I will not have screaming and yelling in my home. I will have discipline and order in my home. 
Let all things be done decently and in order. If that's how God does it, that's how I should do it. We don't have confusion in my home because God doesn't want confusion in His home. Therefore, if there's confusion in the church of God, it's my job as the pastor because I run the church like my home according to the book of 1 Timothy 3. I have to say, enough's enough. The confusion leaves, even if that means people leave. You understand what I'm saying? There's something that has to be said for running things God's way. You need to know what the Bible says because it will affect how you live your life. It'll affect how you structure your home, you structure your marriage, you structure your family. It's very important that we operate and function based on the Word of God. Now, he says that, he says, let all things be done decently in order. Why does he want things done decently in order? Here it is now. Here's the big, the big kicker. For God is not the author of confusion. See, God's not the author of that. He doesn't like confusion. He doesn't breed confusion. When there's confusion in the house of God, that wasn't God, Creator. That was God, little g, of this world. You understand? If there's confusion in your home, your life, your marriage, that's not big G, God. That's little g, God of this world, bringing that into your life. Never blame God for confusion in your life. Always blame it on the fact that you fail to order your life. No matter what the circumstance or situation, God does not bring confusion. There's order in everything God does. You have to grab hold of the order. You've got to figure it out and understand, this is here for a reason. Where does God want it to fit in my life? If I don't find out what God wants me to do with it, it'll forever, it'll forever just buzz around and create confusion. And the devil, the devil will use that. Say, see, God's not good. God doesn't care. God doesn't, isn't concerned about you. Yes, He is. Don't let the devil lie to you like that. God has a purpose for everything. He's a God of order, not the author of confusion. He brings it in our life to mold us and to ultimately conform us to the image of Christ. Is there anything more valuable or should there be anything more valuable in a Christian's life than being conformed to the image of Christ. There shouldn't be, but are there? Absolutely. But the reality is, is that anything and everything that conforms us to the image of Christ is more valuable than so many. That's the most valuable thing a Christian can have. These young men, to be Christ-like, that's really the goal that they ought to have in their life. Not, not to make a lot of money, not to be a big-name preacher, not to somehow be even the best soul winner in the world, but to be in the image of Christ, to literally be something Christ-like. That's the real goal. Now, again, God is so consistent, and His Word, therefore, is consistent. And so we're going to address our, through, through, as we address our study through these next weeks, you're going to see how consistent God is in everything. He is so consistent. And man, I'm telling you what, anytime confusion hits our life, it isn't of God. Because God is so consistent. And, and again, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It happens to all of us. We get... <laughs> we just have to realize, wait a second, where is this coming from? Now, this isn't what God wants for me. Because God is not the author of confusion. He wants all things done decently in order. We slow down and we come back to earth and we begin to order things in His Word, according to His Word, I should say. Okay, number 12. <clears throat> remember the law of first mention. Because God is so consistent and His Word is so consistent, 
the law first mentioned is paramount. It is, it is absolutely essential in our life. Uh, as you read through the Word of God, the law first mentioned is going to be nailing you. It'll be, it'll be there every, every, at every turn almost. When a word, a doctrine, or any other thing is found for the first time in the Word of God, it is a very important key to understanding every other time it shows up. So you need to be aware of it. You say, man, I've read through my Bible, and you know what? The first time I saw that was... And you go, you know what? Let me keep an eye on that, because probably I need to always go back to that and see how it was used there, because it will affect how it's being used everywhere else. Because God's that consistent. So, so once you, if you can see how it's used the first time, you'll really have a good handle, more than likely, on how it's being used after that. The law first mentioned. It's, it's very important. Now, as a result of that, that means we need to pay particular attention um, to this rule as it's applied to different books. For instance, there's certain books that you're going to see this more than not others. The book of Genesis. Of course, Genesis is it's the book of beginnings, isn't it? In the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis, almost every major doctrine in the Bible is found. It's an amazing book. So you're going to find a lot of firsts in the book of Genesis. When you find those in the book of Genesis, those firsts, the first time marriage is mentioned, the first time uh, tithing is mentioned, the first time, boom, 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 all the way across the board. It sets the stage for the entire Bible. And you begin to understand it better because of the law first mentioned. Why? Because God is a consistent God. He is a God of order. Therefore, things seem to fall into place. The book of Job. The book of Job is another book where you're going to find things that are interesting. It's, an, it's the oldest book in the Bible chronologically. And, and so, you know, it's written back in Abraham's day as far as the time it was actually written or the times it's writing about. So it's a very old book. And it's a book where you find a number of firsts. And so you, you need to be very careful there. Then also Matthew. Matthew's another book. Again, it's considered the first book of the New Testament. Now, again, we noted last week that the New Testament literally did not kick off as far as the New Covenant till after um, uh, the uh, death of the testator, according to Hebrews chapter 9. So we understood that. But still, the book is divided. If you take the Bible and you look at it, you open it up. There's Old Testament. There's New Testament. Matthew being the first book in the New Testament. So guess what there is? A lot of firsts there. You're going to find a lot of firsts there. And so the law of first mention will play a major part there as well. So the law of first mention. And uh, that will be very helpful as we move along. Number 13. Always take a passage literally until it is impossible for you to take it literally. Take it literally until it's impossible for you to take it literally. Um, this one is one that I get a big kick out of all the time. I, I, love, I like this one, you know. Uh, for me, it's not hard. I don't know. Some people, it's much harder because it's, I guess, their makeup, the way they're made. Um, and we're all different. You know, we're all unique. We're all individuals. And God made it that way. He doesn't want everyone being exactly the same. We're not robots, you know. But for me, it's not that hard to say, take it literal. I, okay. Because when I was growing up, for sure, I, I know this, my dad taught me to take things literally. He'd say, if I told you to take the trash out, that's exactly what it meant. <laughs> you didn't have to question that, you know what I mean? And if you didn't take it out, you knew he meant it. And that was good. He didn't come home and go, well, let me see, you probably didn't understand it. Here, let me, let me, let's, let, let, let me just tell you, take it out tomorrow. No, no, he, he said it, he meant it, and that's it. It was literal. 
you're taking it out. And I said, well, yeah, but in my mind, I mean, it's almost there. No, it either is or isn't. It's just that way. And you know what? With me, then, therefore, I guess I kind of grew up realizing, you know, if, if this is what it says, then that's what it means. Now, you say, what, why is that important at all? Well, um, the Bible says what it means, and it means what it says, too. Don't spiritualize what can be taken literally. Um, very few passages in the Bible are really symbolic or figurative. The majority of them are just what they are. If they are symbolic, if they're figures of sorts uh, or they're uh, you know, uh, pictures of something, uh, it will be explained somewhere in the Bible. God will in- explain those things. He will make them clear. Here's a good rule. Do not try to figure out what a passage means until you know what it says. You really got to know what it says. You, you know, I'm good at this. Maybe you are too. I'm good at reading through my Bible and I see some, a word that I don't fully, completely understand. I just kind of whiz right by it. And then I think later, well, I, wonder what, I, I think I know what that word meant. Well, how can we even know what God means until we know what He says? We've got to know what He says. Okay, so sometimes maybe we need to slow down a little bit. And when we go to a, a particular passage and we've read through our Bible reading, maybe you read you know, three chapters a day or four chapters, whatever it is. I don't know what you read. And, and, and all of a sudden you get to the end. You're writing a little note to yourself. You put that little verse down. You go back to it in your Bible study time that you set aside each week. Maybe you have two or three days a week. You spend a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour. Sometimes it turns into two, three, four. You know how that goes. But nonetheless, you set that time. You go back to that and you say, I'm going to figure out what that word means now. And you do your little study on it. And you find it everywhere that it's listed in the Bible. What? You don't just run to the dictionary? No, no. Remember, the Bible, the Word of God, is its own best what? Dictionary or commentary. So before you let Webster tell you what it means, and Webster did a pretty good job in 1828, by the way. Did a pretty good job, but let me tell you something. He don't have it all figured out. Let God tell you what it means in His Word. Sometimes take the time to study a word. You young men, when you're going to do a word study, you don't do a word study on the internet. You do a word study in your Bible. You find that word in the Bible and you look it up. Maybe you have a a computer uh, Bible or something even. Look it up and say, where's this word listed? Every verse that's listed in the Bible. Then look up every single verse. And and start to ask yourself, okay, what's what's the common things about these verses? How's it being used in the, you know, what they teach you when you're in school? You want to know what a word means? You, you read it in its context. And a lot of times you can almost understand what the word means by how it's being used in the sentence. And you know what? That's how it is in the Bible sometimes. And you start to see that. And sometimes God will even define a word for you. Remember when Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And she's like, because I'm, I'm bitter spirit. Well, guess what? Earlier it tells us Mara is bitter so, you, you know, I'm just saying there's words that are defined for us in the Word of God, but it's not necessarily at the same location. So, anyway, um, take it literally. Take it literally. And uh, that'll, that'll, be, that'll be, be very helpful to you. Um, read it over and over again. And don't look for some hidden meaning, necessarily. Figure it out. Let the Word say what it says. Revelation is a good example of this. Um, many spiritualize it. Many allegorize the, the Revelation. You know, everything's got to be an allegory. Uh, I, 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 I'm almost humored by all these, um, 
I get a kick out of listening to what, um, you know, every time something happens in the Middle East, how it, you know, it's in the Word of God, it's in prophecy, and, you know, this must be kicking off this, and this must be kicking off that, and that means this, and this means that, and, you know, what they're really doing most of the times they're allegorizing, or they're spiritualizing it. They're not taking it literal. So they're saying everything in the book of Revelation means something else than what it really says it is. I know it's interesting, and I know it can be very fun, and I don't think it's all wrong to do some of that, but you do need to be careful, and so do I, to realize that you must take a passage literally until it cannot be taken literally. Until it's absolutely sure it's not literal. Um, We read some of the plagues in the book of Revelation, and people say, man, that's got to mean this, and it's got to mean that. And Well, let me ask you something. Did you ever read what happened in Egypt? Did you ever, did you ever look at the, how closely related many of the plagues in Egypt are to the plagues in the book of Revelation? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever taken the time to think that through? And yet, let me, let me say this. What if, if um, Egypt was ahead of us yet, and we were just reading prophecy about what was, you know, uh, the land will be covered with frogs. That's crazy. Covered with frogs. That's got to mean something else. That's got to mean that there's going to be these special ops troops from Russia called frogmen that take over the land. Isn't that about how many of these people in the book of Revelation do this stuff? It's like crazy, you know. Uh, you know, well, those, those wings as eagles have to be America and all that stuff. I mean, they spiritualize everything. Now, again, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, we need to be careful with that. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I mean, what would you, water turned to blood, you know? Isn't that something? I'm just saying, I can't imagine. So, take it literal till it can't be taken literally uh, anymore. And um, I think you'll, it, it'll help you in the long run. It'll help you in the long run. Now, here, here's a very important one. It's so important, it's really long. I had to expand it down there. Always be prepared to change whatever you've been taught or you have believed when it goes contrary to the Bible. Never make the Bible line up with what you believe. Always line yourself up to what the Bible says. I'm going to tell you what, that is a lot easier said than done. That's a lot easier said than done. You, you, grow, up, you grow up hearing that the charismatic movement is wrong. And then you read something in the Bible that may lend itself and you think, man, that sounds a little bit like that could be true. The first thing you want to do is just shut it off because I don't want to have to face it and deal with it. I don't want to actually have to do the study it's going to take to really figure this out. Because first of all, if I do all the study and find out that I've been wrong all along, oh man, I'm going to face some real opposition. But then again, if I do it and I find out it's just everything I always believed anyway, I just seem feel like I maybe wasted my time doing all that study. No, you never waste your time studying. Never waste your time studying. Dig. Figure it out. I, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm really not concerned about it. Someone comes to me and says, you know, I'm, I'm checking out that uh, Hebrews chapter 6, man. I mean, they tasted. They tasted of it, man. And now well, here we are, you know. We're not supposed to be able to lose our salvation. And I'm not worried about that. You do the study and you rightly divide the word, you'll come out on top. You'll be just fine. The problem is we don't rightly divide. We don't figure it out. So go ahead. Be willing to change anything. Don't go to the Bible with preconceived ideas. Don't do that. You start doing this. I remember when, when I, um, years ago when I entered Bible college, I didn't know a whole lot when I went to Bible college. I'm going to be honest with you. I just didn't know a lot. And uh, I'd hear all these guys talking about the gap theory. And uh, that's, that's where 
supposedly uh, there, there was a, a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, I believe it is. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, there was a pre-Adamic earth and stuff. If you read Larkin, you'll run into that junk like that. But anyway, uh, there was all kind of stuff going on there uh, that, that, that the devil fell here and then he really didn't fall here. And it gets confusing. Let me just tell you that, okay? But anyway... Um, and there's some verses in the Bible, Isaiah 45 and maybe 23, a couple other places that might support some of that stuff slightly. But when you consider there's a whole Bible with what? How many verses in it? Does anybody know how many verses are in the Bible? Just curious. Because I can't remember either. I just thought maybe somebody knew. But anyway, we know there's, what, 1,129 chapters or some, uh, 20, uh, 29 chapters or something like that. But anyway, um, uh, all the things that are written about it, you've got these few verses, you know, and we build this whole doctrine on it, okay? you got to be careful with that stuff. These guys are talking about it in class. They're debating about it, you know, between classes and stuff. They're debating about that. They're debating about all kind of crazy stuff I never heard about. And I, I was a little bit intimidated by that. And uh, I remember I decided after my first year of Bible college that I was going to know more Bible than anybody. And that was just the bottom line. I'm going to study and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to know the book. I want to know it better than anybody else. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. That wasn't pride. I just was sick and tired of feeling stupid. And I went ahead and I started doing some study. And I started reading some books. And I started trying to understand some things. What happened was I started reading some books. And I would run into something that sounded weird to me. And I'd stop before I ever went any further. For instance, we'll talk about in our study. Is there a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? Well, when I ran into that question, I stopped. The moment I heard somebody say that there was a distinction between the two, I stopped reading. I didn't even want to be tainted by what they said because I didn't want to enter into my study with preconceived ideas. So I stopped. And I went, you mean to tell me there might be a difference? And so I started studying the Bible. It took me over a month to study that out. It took me a month. And I came away with a conclusion. And then I went back and read from the place I stopped on. And I went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. I must have done some study right because it's really pretty close here. And that was pretty exciting. And then there was other times I started doing some study and I went back and looked at some things and went, wow, am I way out there? Where did I come up with that? Because how come three different great men of God don't come up even remotely close to where I am? I thought I had some great doctrine or something. I didn't have no great doctrine. I was way off. You know, so you, you, you use some wisdom there, okay? And that's where it can help you to have some, you know, commentaries or something down the road. But do your study. Figure it out. Preconceived ideas don't fit, though. Be very careful. But whatever you're taught, whatever you learn, then you'd be willing to accept. You know, um, it's scary. As a parent, I used to be a little bit concerned what my kids would come away with in certain areas. I'll be honest with you. The more they get in their Bible, the better off I'd be. I'd be more happy than ever. I, I, I'll take that chance of having to maybe straighten them out if they get way out there on something. But they'll be much more grounded in the things they know if they'll take the time to study it. D- don't wait. Don't wait for your pastor or your, your, or your parents to teach you something that you've got a question about. Dig in and start figuring it out. Don't wait, okay? Don't wait. you got a question? Go to God and say, I want to figure it out. I'm going to start digging in the Word. And then when I start getting a handle on it, then I'm going to go to my dad or my youth director and say, listen, I've been doing some study. What do you think about this? And you can nail them. Give them some verses, man. Say, here's what I found. And they say, oh, well, I don't mean that. Really? Why not? I got my verses. Where are yours? 
Now, I'm not saying be cocky about it. I'm just saying now you've got something to communicate about. Now, somebody's not just telling you what to believe now. You're figuring out what God has to say. You may not be all right, but at least you're going to probably be a lot further ahead than you would be. And as you begin to discuss it with men of God and, and others in our church that are, that are studying their Bibles, you'll at least have something, some ground to stand on, okay? But anyway, be prepared to change whatever you've been taught. And uh, that scared me a little bit. I studied this King James issue out. I can't tell you how long it took me to study it out. I was willing to be an NIVer. I was willing to use any book that God told me was the Bible. I made up my mind. I'm just going to do what I got to do. Prayed, fasted, begged God to give me answers. And uh, I landed on the side I landed on. Here I am today, okay? With a Bible I believe is perfect and infallible. I did some looking this morning. And there's all these people that get obnoxious and really nasty and say crude things to people that believe in these things. I, I'm amazed. I, I, why would you ever respond to a question with cussing? Uh, but you run into that stuff. Even on biblical forums, it's amazing to me. A guy that's supposed to be supporting the King James used a cuss word in the midst of his... I, I didn't understand it. But anyway, uh, just crazy stuff. But um, be careful, you know, but get in there and study your Bible. Now, finally, last but not least, numbers are a major key in the Bible. Numbers are a major key. Um, you know, everybody knows the number 666. And uh, I, I remember who it was. I hope I don't offend anybody. Somebody came to me the other day and went, Six is, is, the, is uh, the number of, uh, uh, of the mark of the beast. Six is the mark of the beast. And I went, it's actually, um, and I told them what it meant. And they were like, oh, oh, well, okay. You've got to be careful. But, but numbers are important. Numbers are very important, okay? Numbers help us tremendously. Just like I said, 40. 40 is an important number. I mean, every time you turn around, it's a number of testing. You know, and we're going to talk about some of those numbers. We'll lay that out for you a little bit. And when you see that number in Scripture, it, it clues you into something. It helps you to understand a little bit more about the Bible. Okay, so numbers. Numbers are a major key in the Bible. They're very, they're very helpful. They're very helpful. So those are our 15 rules. Those are our 15 rules. Again, it doesn't do, no, it doesn't do any good to have a bunch of rules if you don't apply them. All right, and I just want to encourage you to, to take these and start running them through your mind. One of the major ones, I mean, there's a couple of them that are really major. Obviously, we know, you know that the Bible addresses or speaks to three different groups. That's a huge one. That's major. Okay? Don't forget about that. You know, you've got to find out who he's talking to. That's important. Okay? Uh, the context is important. Things like that. There's three or four or five of them that you will constantly see coming up continually. There's other ones that we mentioned here that you won't use quite as often. Okay? But um, get them in your mind. Run through them a little bit. And next week, when we start talking about some things, I mean, we're, we're going to start getting into this fun stuff now. It's going to get really fun. And, um, it, it, you know, I hope it's not too confusing, uh, but it's going to be good. It'll be well worth your time as we consider how to rightly divide the word of truth. And you'll, you'll enjoy that. You'll enjoy it greatly. All right. Um, I almost had any questions for me tonight. I'll tell you what, I will fill with a few questions. I don't care. Anybody got a question for me tonight? No? When the church first started, I used to field questions on any subject in the Bible, anything in the Bible. And I won't, I won't necessarily do that now because I don't have time to go into it and break it down. But um, that was fun. That kept me on my toes. I stopped doing that when the church got larger because I started getting really bad questions. Yeah, good questions, I should say. Study it out. <laughs> Study it out.
Mr. Jurgen just answered the question. No, they're not. So anyway, go from there and start trying to figure it out. Yeah, they're not. Very good. Yeah, you'll find that you'll find that the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 33 times in the book of Matthew. That's the only place it's ever mentioned. Okay, and that's interesting because remember what Matthew is. It, it, you know, it's you know. Does anybody know? Well, we don't have time to go into it all. We got to get out of here. We've got a uh, we've got a singles activity at my house tonight, so I got to get going. Yeah. What you'll you'll get it when we deal with it. What what's number nine mean? Oh, what was number nine? I thought you were asking me what's number nine mean. I was going to say no. We're not giving that away right now. We'll get to it later. Um, the individual words in the Bible are the key to the Bible. The individual words. What is number nine? I thought you was asking me what's it mean. I'm not giving that away. You're going to have to come back. It's going to be like anybody else. Anything else, real quick. All right. All right. Good. Okay. Those are good. All right. Well, listen. None of this matters if you're lost. Okay. I don't care how well you know the Bible. If you don't know Christ, you're in trouble. You got to settle that. Okay. And then if you want to understand the Bible, you have to have your walk with God right. I mean, you really do have to begin to 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 say, Lord, I really want. To be able to understand your word. So therefore, um, reveal to me areas of my life that need to get tightened up. i got to deal with. Because as I come to your word, I want the Holy Spirit to have liberty to really speak to my heart. And sometimes we have hidden sin in our life. David said, you know, except, uh, let's see, he says, um, um, oh boy, 66, 18, uh, Psalms. Um, I can't remember. i got to look it up real quick now. My mind just went blank. But... Um, and I hope that's the right passage, actually. I'll find it. And we got to close. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Let's get rid of that sin in our life, okay? If I regard iniquity in my heart, let's deal with that tonight. And let's start to ask the Lord to help me see areas of my life that I need to address. Anybody perfect in the room? No. But boy, I tell you what, we should always be striving to be more Christ-like. You know, and, and let's work at that, okay? As we prepare, the greatest thing for Bible study that you can do is be pure of heart. Be able to face God purely. He'll, he'll answer us. Father, we need you. Lord, thank you again for just this time we had. It's more of a teaching time tonight, Lord, as we consider these rules of Bible study. Lord, we are a people that's very needy. And, and Lord, there's not one of us that's got it all figured out, Lord. We're just works in progress. But, Lord, thank you that you're going to continue to work in our life. I think about the young men and young ladies here tonight. Lord, I have a burden for them to 